Welcome to Queer Longing, a podcast where we discuss and explore everything that we're longing for and living for in our queer community. I'm Olivia Taylor. And I'm Lucy Zessel. Welcome, welcome to us. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm all right. I'm quite tired, but... As we said, I think when we first started this podcast, we decided that we were never going to talk about when we were tired or ill, but I feel like we never, we haven't kept that up at all. No. <laughs> we always talk about when we're tired and ill. And I think it's it's only going to get, it's only going to get worse in our thirties, especially how I was just <clears throat> talking to you about having um, a bad back from sleeping in an unfamiliar bed. And if mm. that's not 32, then I don't know what is. Yeah. But I feel like that was happening to me when I was like 17, if I was in a bad bed, like in, in a soft bed, like mm. I need a really hard bed. Okay. <laughs> what I need in life like so I'd rather sleep on floor than in like, like a really soft bed because mm. it just fucks my back so I understand that but yes this is 32 I suppose um yeah how are you doing I'm doing well and actually the um thought that you had about kind of like needing the right sleeping environment got me thinking a little bit about this week this week's guest and this week's guest book because um we're going to be very soon talking to Kala Henkel um about her debut novel Other People's Clothes and it got me thinking about when I was younger and I would literally sleep anywhere <laughs> yeah what you mean like in your like teens 20s and stuff yeah like, like when you've been at house party or something like that yes yes I vividly remember having a party at my parents house and I like got everyone to like places to sleep and the only like place that was left that was like carpeted mm. that wasn't like kitchen floor was a bit of like carpet down the bottom end of my parents like kitchen by the fridge so I just like went to sleep by the fridge <laughs> the lullaby is the hum of the the hum yeah, of the, the fridge the guiding the Samsonite, you to sleep. Yeah. yeah exactly no I would I would very happily sleep with like one tea towel like placed precariously <laughs> over me and then just be absolutely you still fine need something day. though otherwise it's too scary yeah to otherwise, have like no pressure whatsoever you otherwise have have at least... there's monsters obviously. Yeah, obviously everybody knows that but um we'll park the chat about how we like to sleep because yeah. I'm sure everybody's riveted put, put by that. Put a pin in that though for next episode. <laughs> and we'll get to, I think it's our fourth author special of this series. I know, stunning. Look at us go. Absolutely <laughs> powering through. So without further ado, we will intro. So Kala Henkel is an American writer, a playwright and a director living in Berlin. And her debut novel, Other People's Clothes, is a tale of toxic friendship and murder steeped in naughty's pop culture references, wrapped in a bloodstained Britney Spears hit me baby one more time, though. And the novel explores themes of sexuality um, celebrity obsession, um, themes around surveillance and the burgeoning heat of social media. Kala, a very, very warm welcome to Queer Longing. We are thrilled to have you. Yay, thank you so much. And what a lovely intro. And yes, I slept anywhere and everywhere as well when I was young. And there's actually the hum of the fridge behind me because I'm speaking from my bar in Berlin in Schöneberg. Oh, very nice. Picked. Very nice to meet you. And what's your bar called for, for those who are? It's called TV Bar and it's open Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And I think some of the characters in my book would be proud that I am continuing some sort of late night Berlin. Like even in my thirties and I feel way too old for it, but it is fun. So, so have you always been involved in kind of like, um, events organization? Is that what inspired the book or is that just kind of a coincidence? No, I mean like very much the book came out of my timeline. Like I moved to Berlin in 2008 and I'm, I work collaboratively and I'm very interested in performance and like how you build spaces for performance. And so when we were really young and really dumb, we opened a bar and that was completely illegal and it's been long enough now, now I can say that. Like, <laughs> like, like statute of limitations. limitations. Yeah. <laughs> and um, so we opened this bar and we kind of started programming performance stuff. And so I think 
all of that leached into the book in a very real way. Um, yeah. Yeah. Amazing. We will have to come to the bar because yeah, we be went to Berlin on a friendship trip, God, many years, many ago. years ago. Um, and I feel like we need to redo it yeah. now in our thirties. It would be like, it'd be like a 10 year anniversary trip. Let's ask. So, okay. This is embarrassing, but have you ever been to Daibush? I'm probably pronouncing it wrong. What is that? <gasps> Maybe we dreamt it <laughs> or, or nightmared it. Maybe. maybe. No, maybe, maybe. I just tell me. Okay. Maybe this was a, a terrible mirage or a good mirage. <laughs> I don't know. So we went on this um, trip to Berlin, which was still hungover from famously about 12 years later. And we went to um, a gay club called Die Bush. I don't know if that's how, what, that, if that's the correct pronunciation. D- D- I don't know. D-I-E. Yeah. Like, like the. The. Right? Yeah. And then B U S C H E. H E. So that's probably Die Buche, like the uh, book. Oh. I don't know it. So oh I don't God. know. But well, I'm guessing from the spelling that for a literary moment, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, it very I mean, literary. It was, it was very yeah. itself. And like we had to get a like train to basically the middle of nowhere to go to it. And like, oh, remember, it took like quite a while to get yeah. to it. It was in the middle of like an industrial place. Obviously, it's Berlin. Good. And then it was just yeah. like in a hangar. <laughs> then, but it was very like. Um, it's probably condos now. <laughs> <laughs> like that's the turnover of the city. But yes. I oh, no. That's sad. Actually, I know it's not because I was sent a picture of it from someone oh, I know who good. went only but a few weeks ago. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Ah, oh, but but which I don't means know. I'm like I'm making a note. Um, yeah, please do. <laughs> it was it'll be worth your time. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> um. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Now I'm like just like trying to remember slash not remember what uh, Dibush, uh, or even whatever. However you pronounce it. Now I feel like I've murdered <laughs> it. But uh, uh. Yeah. Anyway, so we always begin the podcast by talking about what we are living and longing for this yes. week. So we want to hand over to you first as our guests. So what are you living and longing for, Kala? Okay, so I've just been on a big gay vacation with a bunch of my friends and we went to Marseille and I had never like done, I hadn't done this like since COVID, like gone on a group, like five of us, six of us. And it was so fun. And I'm just living for my kind of sun-baked, cracked out inability to recalibrate to normal life. And it's like very, very luscious. And I just feel stupid in the best way and kind of like hungover in the best way. And I'm longing for like, number one, silly one is like the rosé. Like it was just so fun to be in the South of France where it was warm. And I'm like back here in like dreary Germany. And then also I just finished a book writing my second book and like this character I thought I was annoyed with. And now I really miss her. And I have this like weird longing for this, like, crazy girl who I've carried with me for two years so a lot of like sweet friendships wrapped up in my living and longings for fictional and not such good livings and longings um love a friendship holiday and we were talking at the beginning of the year about what some of our um aspirations would be for this year and we said that one of them was this would be um our bimbo era 
and we wanted to be we wanted to be bimbos as much as we could possibly be and lean into a bimbo identity in a very sort of um, all day it's yes the whole thing how do you think we're doing bimbo wise i don't i don't think we've bimboed enough no we have not bimboed enough maybe we need to it's been about it's i hate to like bring it up but it has almost been half of the year yeah which is horrifying but so maybe the second half of the year is our bimbo yeah yeah we really need to turn this ship around and maybe we should do it in marseille because we can why not it was also really gay there which was really fun is it super queer friendly which like you know because i feel like whenever you travel with like a big group it's always like someone says something you know i don't know if you're in italy someone always says something but like we were there and it was just like very queer and funny and like it was delightful so that was nice okay good wreck there was also lots of lesbians everywhere which i love it's like but were there lots of lesbians there because like you were with you you made up that group of people no, or they, they were, were just there and you know when you see them you see them you yeah, know? yeah oh absolutely, we absolutely. We, knew. We, knew. <laughs> we knew we all knew and it was like it was just very full of like people who I was very excited to see so it was very sweet okay well this is our it's official this is our next bimbo trip we're doing it perfect yeah bimbo's <laughs> take Marseille <laughs> Lucy, what are you living and longing for this week? Um, I uh, wish mine were as I think mean, you have hit the brief so well there. Yeah. Those longings are so perfect. Um, my my, I am living for. Um, I think as I mentioned on our podcast with Rosie, uh, will be that um, my job, the Proud Trust, we have opened now. Opened. We're in the midst of a launch week of. Uh, opening the new LGBT plus center in Manchester and um, I am just living for how it's been going it's been so nice to like because when I started the job the building was empty so it was like empty all day maybe a few of us in the office and that but it was been so nice to have these launch events and just have the building like full of people and like full of life and full of like queer joy and that's been amazing yeah it's been so so nice and it's like really fulfilling and like feels very nice to be part of the organization so absolutely living for that and uh very excited to get the center like open publicly and have people come in and use the space that's really great that's what I'm living for and then I am longing for this weekend is a long bank holiday weekend in the UK um and I'm going home to like my parents which I haven't been to since like I think I stopped off there once quickly since Christmas um my sister's coming up with the babies I haven't seen the babies for a while and it's just gonna be one of those nice really lazy weekends of just like sitting outside maybe the first barbecue of the year who knows first barbecue of the season um and just being like dead like wholesome so I'm very excited for that I feel like I've had a lot of not wholesome weekends and I need a wholesome one so I'm very excited for that so that is what I am living and longing for what about you Liv? Um, I am living for, um, so I don't know if you saw this, I think it came online either today or yesterday, but um, Hunter Schaefer um, exposing um, a doorman who wouldn't grant entry to her friend into a club because her her friend was trans and basically just like taking him down for 7 million followers to see. And we we live and agree with that. So um, I thought that was good. And um, longing for, so... I'm longing for, and this is funny that we mentioned the bimbo holiday because this is kind of adjacent to this, but I'm longing for life as a coastal grandma. Mm. (laughs) Olivia, like, love this for you. I think this is the second time you've said this. Okay, well, that's all I think about. You need big knit jumper. Yeah. You need like- um, Glasses full of shells. Yeah. I want to be like out at the Cape 
thinking about all of my ex-husbands yeah. who have done me wrong and then just like yeah. writing a letter and burning it and throwing it into the yeah. sea necking some rosé and then just like going out with Keanu Reeves <laughs> that's good. what we all long for really yeah. <laughs> so I think I think yeah that's that's what my um, future is but also I am longing for the bloody lift in my um <laughs> apartment block to be repaired because at the moment um, I can't get down to put my garbage away. So I've just got loads of like shit over there that I can't take down. Couldn't you go out, out, the, out the front and through the garage? No, because I don't have a fob. Oh, to get into the garage. You can only get out of the garage. I can, yeah. Oh, oh dear. So I'm stuck. I'm That's stuck. terrible. Um, yeah, so they're my slightly weird livings and longings <laughs> this week. Absolutely amazing. <laughs> But anyway, um, back to you and back to the book, Keller. So thanks again um, so much for joining us. And for the benefit of those who don't know, I wondered if you could tell us a little bit about yourself, but also how you came to writing at this point in your life and what the inspiration was um, for other people's clothes. I know you mentioned that it follows a similar timeline to your own experience. Yeah, uh, so I'm mainly primarily an artist, but um, I had been, I also, as I mentioned, I work with performance and I had been writing plays at this um, place called the Volksbühne here in Berlin, which is a theater. And I kind of got out of this year of writing plays kind of for this very specific German niche kind of like political map and I was like I want to write something that like anyone can read and I was like I want to write an airport novel and I love thrillers I like really love this idea that like I think thrillers have a relationship to pop music like I think there's this thing where you have this sort of like beat and tempo that can carry you kind of through anything so you can actually throw a lot onto it so like I feel like a lot of my questions and my art practice and kind of these I thinking about photography and performance and all of this is in the book, but it's kind of like packaged in this way that's like highly digestible. And so I was very excited about trying to figure out how to write like that. And so I was at my parents' house for the summer and I was just like reading thriller books and then like kind of sat down to start writing and kind of just started writing about when I got to Berlin and I didn't really plot it all out as I was going. And so it was, a I had to delete a lot, which I will never do again, but um, it was, I mean, I, I'll never know the ending when I start something, but like, I'll definitely have a little bit more of an idea than I did that time. Um, but I think for me, there was just a lot of kind of joy in taking this sort of like very real timeline and then like completely filling it with pulp and like, so I did move abroad in 2008 to Berlin and um, like the characters in the book did, I also moved into the apartment of a well-known writer, but she's like a genius and like kind of the opposite of the thriller writer in the book. And like, she was definitely not watching me or my roommate. And like, we just read all her books and thought she was fabulous. So I think it was kind of like reimagining this time period, which was extraordinarily lonely also. And kind of like thinking about how it could have been more extreme I guess if that makes any sense yeah no definitely it does it does I think like the it it makes sense to sort of take like from you can tell that you like have such a uh it's very vivid like the 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 actualized like the time of it and I think that was one of the things that we spoke like we talked about like it being 2008 2009 time kind of thing was yeah. a very specific period for us as well that was like when we were at uni so it's like very um 
reminiscent. Um, and I think there's obviously this theme of like, when you are in your early twenties, late teens, you do make very like strong friendships that stay with you throughout like your life or have are really informative of when you're like finding yourself and coming to be who, who you are. Um, and uh, yeah, I thought like, why was it that you wanted to specifically explore like those um, friendships at that point in somebody's life? Like what, what was it that uh, took you to that time? I'm like very interested in kind of these moments where we try and find ourselves and like kind of the heightened intensity of that time period when you're like kind of so untethered and you're willing and like, I mean, I think I also sort of like came out in this time period. So there was like all of these things that are very real for me in terms of like kind of how you see yourself and other people. And I think the book really like deals with that sort of like latching on and kind of like, um, I don't know, like leeching off of each other, which I think is like dramaturgically speaking, also really interesting. It's like, and kind of the ways that like these, I think also these friendships when you're that age, they're never that intense again. You know, it's like, they really are this like full universe and it's all that matters. And it's like, you can live in a kind of very microscopic prism, but like not prison prism, like where you're reflecting back and forth to each other. And like, that's enough. And like, I don't know, like, as like, like that, as this like tiny theater, you know, like this two person stage where you have audience performer, audience performer, and you're kind of constantly shifting back between the two is like, so demented. And like, I was very interested in kind of like, how that can spiral out of control, I guess. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think that that is a very good point to uh, get you to do a little excerpt reading, if you don't mind from the book, yeah. give a flavor of what uh, people can expect. Um, yes, so the brief is, it's set in 2008. It's about two girls who go on exchange. They move into the apartment of a thriller writer. It's like they stumble on it on Craigslist and um, they soon think the thriller writer is watching them and they realize her next book is about them. But then like the girls are sort of mortified because they're extremely boring. So they start performing for her to try and control the narrative because they're sort of extreme narcissists. Um, so yes, this is sort of like, they've just gotten to Berlin and the main character Zoe is talking about how she does or does not know Haley, who will become her best friend on this mess. Okay. I had really only known her from a distance. I never imagined spending a year in a foreign country with Haley Mater. I knew she wore Chanel Mademoiselle, a ubiquitous Windexy vanilla scent that was popular with dental hygienists gallery assistants and other women proximate to benign power. I knew she possessed the frightening fortitude to break her own nose, to dentine ice gum and decorated her dorm with 1930s posters of Italian liqueurs. But I had no idea what Haley's, forgive the traffic, but Haley's artwork was like. I'd never seen her in the pit. She'd told me once with an air of deep seriousness that her work was conceptual as if that explained everything. At school, to me, she was a character in a poorly acted TV show with only the edges of identity. Apparently, Haley could speak German, a fact that Carol had been excited to relay while she handed me a wad of brochures. 
I was relieved I wouldn't be alone, relieved someone else might have a plan. I still had Haley's number from a study group, so I called and she'd sounded genuinely excited, rattling things off. Her tickets were booked. She'd found a hostel. She'd get a new SIM card when she got there, but there had been a slight falter in her voice toward the end of the conversation, a barely noticeable shift in tone as if it were just dawning on her that she would no longer be alone. I imagined Haley might have wanted to reinvent herself in Berlin. Maybe she'd watched Cabaret with Liza Minnelli too many times, or planned on cutting short bangs and producing techno, or maybe she too hated the sculpture dicks. Whatever it was, by the end of the call, she knew we were stuck together. Our first meal in a proper Berlin restaurant was at a fondue place near the hostel, a dark hobbit hole with knobby wooden chairs, thick menus, and flickering candles. The waiter was cute in a teenage heartthrob way and kept theatrically checking in to make sure we were okay, then retreating with a wink. I asked Haley why he was being so nice. We're hot and barely 20 and foreign. She stared the waiter down with a fuck me grin while sopping a square of bread through the thick bubbling cheese. He reciprocated with a head nod as if he were gonna go jerk off in the back room. So what happened with Ivy? I stuttered. I hadn't realized she knew about Ivy. I'd missed my final crits for the funeral. So I guess everyone in my studio classes knew, but I had somehow hoped to keep her for myself here. Just before I left for Berlin, I was still regularly forgetting, thinking of things to tell Ivy, pulling out my phone and only after I'd begun typing would it hit me that she was gone. She was murdered, I said, matter of factly startling myself. I know, Haley said, subtly gesturing her knife toward her neck. Do you know who did it? Like, do you have any ideas? Um, they think it was random, I said, mushing the remnants of food on my plate. I wasn't ready to trust Haley with Ivy. She was holding my stare. She wanted more. She jabbed a chunk of bread. Nothing's random. I shifted my focus to the drone of the refrigerator, holding chocolate cakes iced in what appeared to be whipped concrete. Did you dye your hair to look like her? How did you know she was blonde? I asked, startled. I looked her up on Facebook. She paused. Everyone loves a dead girl. I nearly choked. Haley continued. And anyway, we can be best friends now. I've never really had one. My family moved around a lot. Oh, man. Okay. Well, I'm really, really glad that you um, chose the sort of point in the novel where we're introduced to Haley yes. and Haley's character um she was so interesting I felt you know because she was living this um when they moved to Berlin and sort of um set up their lives there she's living this sort of bohemian lifestyle that many sort of American girls dream of um you know going to Berlin having this certain life and being beloved and revered by her artist community but there was also this like with Haley, this tension and rejection of that world at yeah. the same time, um, because her love for pop culture, of music and entertainment, really just sort of seeped into and saturated everything that she did, everything that she loved and that she was obsessed with. And I wonder if you could talk more about um, why you wrote Haley in this way, um, with, with this sort of tension that we experience in her character, because that was the thing that made me love her as, as a character. 
Well, I think it's this like thing. I love Haley as a character. I think she's my favorite in a certain way. Like Zoe is the camera and Haley is the performer, like within when we think about this kind of audience stage thing. And it's like, you really have like Haley is constantly performing. And I think like, weirdly, Haley's also like, she loves Britney Spears, but she's very smart. She like also kind of can see through the performance of authenticity, which is so often baked into the art world. And I think that's kind of her whole thing. She's like, you don't have to be like a grungy weirdo to be like authentic and cool. Like, and I think she was in a certain way, like very ahead of her time and sort of like willing in, like kind of, she like will, like if she had had an Instagram, she could have like completely kind of owned her narrative in this other way. And I think she just like liked this tension between like knowing that she was a performer, but not really willing to give the product that she was supposed to give, which is like an artwork. Like she was the product. And like, I think she kind of understood that like pop culture can allow you to do that. And I think in that way, she was actually like beyond her time. And I wanted her to have like all of that tension of this moment before social media, before kind of owning language in that way. And so I feel like she's sort of this like pot that's bubbling over is kind of her like constant identity with all of that stuff. Yeah, she's almost like a like a like a pre like a naughty's Kardashian before the Kardashians. Totally. Yeah. And I think she also knows that like that is power and yeah. like, you can like make a painting, but like, you know, like how do you control an entire moment and how do you like control the story that it gets attached to you? And like she really wants all of that control and that's what's interesting to her and I often thought a lot about like what happened to her and I have like two versions of it one when she was like a model she sort of got like Terry Richardson style like someone had like you know and she realized like no like I'm never going to put myself in a position where like I'm being used in that way and that's sort of like the other version is a similar one than that but like less disgusting but like, I think like Haley is someone who somehow got like burnt on kind of being used for being a beautiful person and then realized that beauty is her weapon and she has to figure out how to be like very exact and cruel with it. And like, she's trying to figure that out in Berlin, which is like a weird place to be figuring that out because someone with kind of her skills and that sort of look isn't like the natural place. And that's where all of this rejection gets kind of sprouts yeah 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 no definitely it's really interesting to think of like them existing in a different time like you're talking about you know they're on like the cusp of like the social media age and how different they would be uh in that time and I think like in you know juxtaposition to Haley, obviously we have Zoe someone who like isn't so much uh hasn't so much maybe isn't so sure of themselves hasn't quite found themselves in that way whereas like Haley comes across quite like I know who I am and all of that and obviously like understands the power of that um was it uh I mean I assume very intentional to have somebody who was sort of more of a sponge for what could happen to them and realize their potential and like did you, have you always been interested in like sort of coming of age things and sort of like I finding identity like finding like securing your identity and like that sort of vulnerability that people have like we all have, I think, when we are forming who we are. And when, if you're then faced with somebody who is very much, or at least seems on the, the face of it, very much themselves, that you can find yourself 
out of control sometimes because you're not maybe like always like I don't know I'm trying, I'm trying to think how to articulate that I think yeah I think the, the way that I'm interpreting it is like when you're at uni or you know around that time you are exposed to so many different people who may seem like they're a lot more self-actualized than yeah. you are and then there's that sort of comparison and you can find yourself being pulled magnetically into different directions that you might not go in and then that sort of um affects your sense of self and then where you go next and the question I think is you know have you always had that interest in that that sort of very tense point in time when you can basically become anything yeah I think there's it's such an explosive time period and so I think like in terms of like having this relationship to story it's such a wild like moment because kind of anything can happen as you said I think for me also it's like I was really thinking about my own version of it you know and like arguably much more boring than what they went through but like still like there was this time when we were here in Berlin and we knew no one and it's like you did things through Craigslist and Facebook it's like it was so isolating and like what attaches to you and what doesn't ends up like really changing the course of things and I think it's also funny people who write thrillers or mystery novels it's like it's so much more fun to write them before social media and everyone had an iPhone because things get so you just solve everything Mm. so fucking quickly so there's this like I really was also interested in this time period which I think was like the end of this type of isolation which I think is like I don't know. I mean, like, if you think about like Patricia Highsmith and like the talented Mr. Ripley, it's like how quickly that falls apart with Facebook. It's like, you know, so it's like, I, it to me has this sort of end of that kind of like moving in and out of things that like I was also really interested. So I guess it's like kind of a combustible time period, like emotionally, but also in my mind, a very combustible time period like on the planet in terms of like technology and how we were communicating and presenting ourselves. Mm. And I was thinking about that. There's a moment in the book where um, Zoe takes her battery out of her phone and just sort of goes off the grid for a couple of days. And I was like, I remember that. (laughs) Like drop your phone and it would fall apart and you'd be like, well, fuck it, I guess. Yeah. And then, you know, unless you happen to see somebody you sort of like no longer exist in a digital sense because you know you're just not there anymore and I was like oh yeah that was like it's quite quite freeing in a way um being able to do that yeah I used to love taking my battery on my phone it's so fun about that yeah and hiding things in the cover yeah and if you're you're, (laughs) yeah because it's 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 I think it's like boundary setting that we just don't experience anymore so you know if you're going through a breakup and you don't want to be contacted you take your battery out throw it somewhere for a few days yeah whereas now it's like you can't that's not it's no excuse to have a no you you know and everyone knows everything it's like there's this sort of saturation that like I don't know there's I mean and there's a type of mystery that can live in saturation obviously and you can play with those materials but like I really love kind of like I don't know the darkness of that and kind of being able to escape and also the consequences of escaping. Like she takes the battery out of her phone and then something terrible happens and then no one knows where she's been. So it's like, there are multiple sides to it, but yeah, no, I was very interested in kind of how all of those things combined. Yeah, definitely. No, it's, um, it's, uh, it's, it was really, I really enjoyed being in that, in that time frame again. And, um, Obviously, you spoke about how it's set in Berlin. We know that. Um, and it's sort of set in a more alternative 
Berlin party scene in terms of like, uh, obviously they they get denied entry into Bergen, not once, but twice. I, ne I, don't, I never say that correctly. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but all the references to pop music and pop culture, I absolutely loved. We are big pop culture fans, uh, loved all the pop. Um, and we thought that this would be a perfect time for to ask you for your track of the week, if you have one, so we can uh, get a little bit It's dark. It's Everybody <laughs> Knows by Leonard Cohen. It's just, oh my God. <laughs> I know, I don't know. It just like, I was like, I've been going on my hot girl walks. I like can't get myself to the gym, but I'm doing like an hour and a half of walking a day. And I just like went so deep into Leonard Cohen. And that one just hit really hard. And I was like, ooh. Yeah. So I've been playing kind of like, I know, it seems like I'm unwell, but I'm fine. <laughs> I, think, I think you're just very much struggling post-holiday. Right? <laughs> yeah, very post-holiday drama. Yeah, I guess. Definitely. It tracks, it tracks. That is a great song though. Um, and and uh, one of our favorite things about our playlist that we would put all these tracks on is that it absolutely, oh, wow. it absolutely jumps about. So yeah, that is... <laughs> demented it's the most demented playlist you'll ever listen to That's how much we can glad to add my little dollop of darkness yeah perfect oh there's there's been a few don't worry yeah <laughs> it, it will find some bedfellows on that playlist for sure well um Liv what's your track of the week um my track of the week is um from um a Cardiff based band called Panic Shack um and they have a song called The Ick and um, have you heard this song no okay but I just know about the ick okay obviously. yeah so it is kind of what it says on the tin but it, I, it made me laugh and um it's they're sort of like a like a punk band I would say and they um talk about how they like go on dates with different people and it's all going well but then the ick happens and like it's a different ick every time so it can be like you know you've put the milk in first and that's like Ooh, made yeah. me feel yeah. disgusted by you like so much and they, they like take it to the nth degree so they're sure. like crossing the side of the street they can't like ever be near them anymore and then the, the second one of the other ones that they talk about is um they go on this day it's all going really well and then he shushed me in the cinema oh yeah no. and I was like oh shit like that <laughs> like you don't want to be you don't want to be shushed on a date so um it just oh. made me um it made me laugh and I thought it was funny yeah do you have the term the ick in either the states or in uh Berlin I think we have it on like TikTok I mean I feel like I just like pop culture know it but actually I've never heard anyone say it here yeah, I feel like it's a quite British term, the ick. Yeah, yeah. Maybe. We because we but we always used to call it the sickness. Oh yeah. <laughs> we like, oh, I've got the sickness. Yeah. yeah. Which is the same thing. Yeah. It's the the moment where but interestingly, some of those icks, like the shushing, I guess that is like it will give you the ick, but it's like the same thing as like a red flag in it. But like yeah. it's more of like a America loves red flag conversation. Yeah. Like yeah. that's what that's the language. Yeah, they love red flags and a thousand percent. Yeah, <laughs> you're still not over a thousand percent. You hate that so much. I've been every time I've said since I've like said one one billion. I say one billion. I say one bill percent all the time. And Olivia had as her. I don't agree with it. A couple of weeks ago, people saying a thousand percent. I was like, how are we friends? Because I say one bill percent all the time. And since I've said it, like since you said that, every time I say it, I like know that you're somewhere like. Ah! <laughs> Look, if everybody looked the same, Lucy, um, you know, we can we can have some different things. It's okay. Um, right. My track of the week, I thought I would bring to you in in spirit of the book, 
I took myself back to 2008, 2009 and was like, what, what's like one of my top track? What's a track of this time? Oh my God. Amazing. It it? was, well, it was quite hard because like I, there were so many and I was like, oh, like this is like upsetting to me because I don't actually know how to choose one. I'm trying to guess. I went with one, which just spoke to me today. It's a rainy day. You know, it's like, it's it's a bit more moody. Is it placebo? Uh, No, it's not placebo. No, no, that's earlier than that. I know, but I remember, but at uni, I I very much associate you with placebo. Oh yeah, fair enough. Yeah. But, <laughs> but no, no, no. What I went with is absolute classic. Um, uh, Meet me halfway by Black Eyed Peas. <laughs> oh my god, that's hilarious. That's great. And that's one that I didn't even want to put in the book. You know, like that's like that's rough. That's great. That's yes, really it's, it's a deep cut. <laughs> the amount of times I've spent like having to re-listen to everything because I really wanted it to be like a soundtrack when you put it together, like the yeah. whole book. But yeah, I was our class on that one. That's great. Wow. It's a deep cut. Yeah. An annoying deep cut. Yeah. Right, right on the borderline. Exactly. Yeah, totally. You're welcome. Um, I'm sorry, but that song still slaps. <laughs> so yes, but it's like it's a cringe slap for sure. Uh, my favorite kind of slap. <laughs> yeah that's why I decided um yeah speaking of um all of that like did you did you do loads of like I assume you did like diving back into that time and like read yeah and like I had certain friends who were really like cool and I would just look through their Facebook photos from that time period and like their costumes are based off of like I have this one friend Julia Burlingham who's like a photographer and also sort of style icon and so I just like harvested so it was really fun to go back and it's also cringe as it is you know and you're just like what like but um the music I think was really fun and we're adapting it for tv which is also funny so then there becomes this whole other like how do you like going back into it kind of with that lens is also funny because it's just like it doesn't end and when you make like something for tv like every tertiary character needs more of background like yeah I love doing kind of a like gentle tertiary thing but then you're like but wait who are her parents and what is this what is that so like the characters oh. are like so I feel like even deeper in 2008 than I have been when like writing. what a time we'll um be happy to put the call out for any like vintage fur coats and disco pants from American <laughs> Apparel that we can get anything we can do yeah. to help yeah um, totally. I'll see what I've got in the back room I know it's like and what's so funny is the fashion was just so bad like I feel like I even warmed yeah. it up a little and like but like whew, when I look at the photos of myself in Berlin in like 2009 I'm like good god like I was like literally wearing a cow print vest like no joke what was Absolutely. Okay. That, that's interesting because I, I would wear that now <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. not in the way that I did I promise you <laughs> yeah the, the, st- the style like when I look back at like how we dressed at uni and that I'm like well not you you had a very distinct style but I like <laughs> but I, I I look at like what I used to wear and I'm like god what how yeah. how I'm just really pleased that when we we spoke about this a couple of weeks mm-hmm. ago I'm really pleased that we never went down and I don't know if this made its way to Berlin because Berlin's a lot cooler but did it have this like business business person look for like going on nights out no I know what you're talking about but I feel like no it was actually more like garbage clothes I don't know how to like it was very like gutter 
Oh, yeah. Glitter sportswear was like maybe okay. our version of that. Yeah, I feel like there were there were a few like subgroups, and there was a there was a subgroup that was very into like business outfits. Yeah, and we are we are we did manage to skirt that. Yeah, we um, we swerved it, we but, swerved it, but yeah. I saw it happen. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. it was everywhere. Blazers, yeah. pencil skirts, mm. couldn't move for them. Peplums. Yeah, mm. and like a necklace that would be like very large with like an owl statement necklace yeah 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 Yeah. Yeah. no we didn't do that no it was more like american apparel and then like nike and like some weird thrift store something that's interesting that sounds to me like what how like like younger people dress now yeah Yeah. we're in the circuit we're back at it yeah it's back as really it's like it's so funny. Like when I finished writing the book, I like had always wanted one of these like um, yeah. Tiffany necklaces. Cause like all the cheerleaders had them when I lived in Florida and I was like, Haley gets one in the book. And I was like, I had finished writing it and I was like, oh, I'm going to get myself that. Yeah. So I like found a used one that like some sad cheerleader gave up <laughs> and then I was wearing it. And then I was just at a bar mitzvah when there was all these like 14 year olds who were like oh I have that too and I was like oh my god (laughs) like circle back and it's like they were like that's so cool and I was like oh my god no it's not like I'm old so yeah we're totally full circle now so yeah that's so funny about that Tiffany necklace um because I'm gonna really expose myself but this is a safe place between the three of us I think to to say this so um I was I was dating someone a while ago um well quite a long time ago and um I was doing the sort of Facebook stalk to find out who else they dated before me um classic yes and I found like this whole album of them giving (laughs) of them giving their girlfriend at the time that necklace a whole oh album God, a whole album because yeah. it was like they're like one pictures like I like need to see these pictures it was just like you know like 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 holding it like I that I've like, never like, seen yeah. these yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> and wow. it was like handing it over as like a one year and like honestly talk about red flags um a lot of red flags just in this album but I remember my response at the time was like oh my god like why why won't they do that for me because right. I, I wanted yeah, I wanted, wanted that necklace. Yeah, you yeah I mean, now we want it again. It's yeah. insane. Interesting. <laughs> I would love to see these pictures. It's yeah. awesome. <laughs> you, you, you better believe the first thing we're doing after this is yeah. making show me. I will pictures. be accepting those screenshots with all <laughs> I'll see if I can um if I can hack back in there somehow because God, yeah, that's so funny. And I haven't thought about that until this very day. So Amazing. Anyway, um, <laughs> less about me and back to the book. But um, <laughs> I've heard when I was sort of um, looking at um, a couple of different reviews, the book being described as hallucinogenic. And that really resonated with my experience of reading the book, especially as we get to the last portion of the book when its position as a thriller really comes into its own. We begin to sort of question everything and the sort of heady party world of Berlin that Zoe and Haley created and begins to unravel. Um, And I wondered what sort of came first. Was it, and I think you sort of answered this earlier on, but was it kind of the desire to write about these women and their relationships to one another and to themselves against this naughty backdrop or did you always want to know that you wanted to write a thriller sort of airport novel as as you've described and the rest came later like how did it how did it all fit together 
I mean, I really knew I wanted to work with like the object of the thriller and kind of thinking about what happens when you kind of drop these characters in like pinballs in a certain way. But I also really wanted everyone to get what they wanted, which is like super perverse, but it's like, I can't write a man to save my life. And I have, there's like not a single man in this book. Like, and every man is like a, a pencil, you know, it's just like there to do something and then leaves. And then like, I really wanted all of these women, like despite having terrible things happen to them to kind of get exactly what they want. And I think everyone in the end sort of gets that. And there's like, so there's this like, I wanted it to have this kind of like really complicated thriller end that actually has this kind of tilt of satisfaction that everyone can kind of solve what they need to solve, not just in like a whodunit way, but in a kind of like, what do they need to figure out how to kind of exist for themselves or become the thing they want? Mm -hmm. And I think like for Zoe in the last line, she's kind of given the information she needs to sort of unpack her grief, which is the reason why she's on this whole like psycho trip to begin with. And I think Haley becomes the icon she wants but it has a very big price tag and I think Beatrice is kind of finally free and like Janet finally gets recognition so they're like Claire gets like become this like like there's like everyone kind of becomes what they need to become and like I was really interested in like can you do that and can you still have it have like a bloody ending which like it does so there was like a lot of joy for me in like giving those characters kind of room to breathe yeah, it's like this warped satisfaction that they all totally get yeah and like I love that and so yeah. that was for me kind of the ending and the ending is like super fast and intense and like but I also like I just like I was like embarrassed like I also come from art and art takes itself so seriously and like there's this point where sometimes I have to like nod look at the keyboard while I type it out <laughs> like yeah it's just happening you know so it's like but there was like a lot of pleasure in that for me Amazing, yeah. Um, and I'll say without any spoilers that it's one of the best last lines of, of a book. The one of the most weighted last lines I've yeah. ever read in a book. So if that doesn't make you want to read the whole thing, then uh don't know what will. So uh, I can highly recommend it. It was a it's a moment, let's just say. So yeah, it's good. Um and I think it's a perfect time to take us on to one of our other stunning segments. Um uh, uh, you know, we totally agree with people getting what they want, even if sometimes it's a, a bit perverse. <laughs> but there are some things that we're not quite so on board with. So it is time for... I don't agree with it. So, Calla, what do you not agree with this week? America. <laughs> I can't think of, like, I was like, what can I think of other than that? Just, I, like, can't look at the news. I can't, like, I just, question mark, question mark, question mark, America. I can't right now yeah that's fair I think I, that is like the full stop of I don't agree with yes, it that is, yeah I just not 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 good not good have you so have you lived outside of for 12 years, years now 12 years now and right? where, yeah. where did you live in America um Minnesota and then New York and my parents live in North Carolina so okay. and I lived in Florida also for a while so amazing the yeah. gamut Yes, I think you're like, you're right. There's, there's not much more to say on that topic apart from, yes, America, full stop. <laughs> very much. Um, yes, that is a uh, very apt, I don't agree with it. Olivia, what about yours? Well, I just feel like I can't say anything else other than that I don't agree with not getting my Tiffany necklace. And there's, <laughs> there's nothing that I can say that would be better than that for this episode. Yeah, so. And on the spot, I don't agree with it. Yeah. Yeah. 
I, I deserve it. Yeah, yeah. You do. not over it. <laughs> I know, I do. I didn't realize that I wasn't over it until today, but it's the bracelet this- might be nice too. You know, it's like why stop at a necklace? Yeah, it's, yeah. it's this is it's throwing up a lot of stuff for me. I'll I'll say that. Um, <laughs> you need that little blue box. I do. Um, what what is your? I don't agree with it, Lucy. Right, I've got a I've got a tale to tell. Okay. Um, this harks back to a previous. I don't agree with it. Um, I believe I must have done this when it first happened. Um, so I'll just I'll just set the scene. Mm. Um. It's Saturday night. You're uh, you, you going to bed. You, you t- you're turning off the lights because you're about to go to sleep. Um, you're settling in for a nice sleep before you've got a day at work the next day because you're doing some launch events. You've got, got a busy day the next day. So you need a good night's sleep. So you're like, oh, finally. Oh, I've got to go to sleep. Lovely. Had a lovely, lovely day. Very, very satisfied. Very happy. Lo and behold, what happens? But five minutes into the lights being turned off. That's right the telltale scratching sign of something else in the room. No, it's not happening again. It's happening again, Olivia. And this time it's in my bedroom. (laughs) So my partner went, what's that? And I went, um, and I knew instantly what it was, but I went, maybe it's a bug. (laughs) And we turned on the lights and we were like, what is that? And it was that telltale scratchy sign. And I was like, and I was, and I, I think I was just going, I went into like this absolute, like, uh, what do you call it? Like a, like a fugue state. <laughs> I was just going, I was just going, no, no, no. And then basically last summer, or it might've been two years ago now, I can't remember during like proper lockdown, we had a big problem in my flat with mice. Um, and they were owned, but they were never in our bedrooms, which was like a saving grace of the whole thing. Yeah. Um, because at least like had my sanctuary, my bedroom was never in there. Totally fine can we dealt with it we haven't seen them for like over a year um apart from one that was in the bin once but that's another story which I'm not gonna tell because it has a very gruesome ending (laughs) so uh but yeah Saturday night it's like 2 a.m as well like half two and it's like we turn on lights we're like where is it where is it I look over like by my door there's like the parcel shelf from my car um just like hanging out there because I don't need it in my car and it just pokes its head out. And we were like, ah! and then it like scampered. It was like crawling up it and like poking its head out at different intervals. And it was absolutely horrendous. And I was like, what? I was like, I was going, no, no. They were never in my bedroom. They were never supposed to be here. No, no. Oh, <laughs> and my, no. Part, my partner was just like, uh. and he was like, I don't, he's like, I don't know what we do. I don't know what we actually do. And I was like, yeah, well, I don't know what we do. Cause there's no way we're going to like actually be able to catch it um like and we were so we watched it for like half an hour like 20 minutes just like going around the room and it was trying to get out so I'm convinced it didn't come in via my room but somehow it got in anyway long story short I went and got some traps and we were like let's set some traps and then we just went to went to his instead so that was like thank god there was another place to go and sleep because I was like I will not sleep here like ever again so Yeah, we were on the cab on the way to his, and he was like, "What, what are you, what are you going to do about it?" I was like, "Well, I'm, well, I'm moving into yours." <laughs> have you, have you been back to your bedroom ever since? Yeah, yeah, I slept there last night. It was fine. So, like, went back. It definitely wasn't in there yesterday because we left the door open, so it somehow got out. Um, set a bunch of traps. What more can you do? I don't know. Just try- yeah. Anyway, so what I don't agree with is the fact that Mousegate has returned to my flat, and this time All it's right. in my bedroom, which is just. Uh-huh. Cause just the thought of like it. And I told my dad, my dad was like, 
oh, I don't think it'll get on your bed. Like there's no food up there. And I was like, uh, mate, it was literally crawling up and anything and everything. It will crawl up onto my bed and it will be on my face before I know it. And I can't have that. (laughs) So that's why I don't agree with like having my space invaded. Like there's nothing. No. And it like flashed me back to when it happened in lockdown and lockdown it was the worst thing ever because it was like not you couldn't go anywhere and the one place that we had was like infected by like people yeah people we didn't want that (laughs) so yeah exactly um yeah it's been horrible but I'm I, I have no choice but to to move on and figure it out and just try and get rid well, I'm very, very sorry to hear of it because it was traumatic the first time around, but a second time is just not what you want. It's not at oh. all. I know. So uh, have you got any space here, Olivia? Can we... <laughs> Look, the LGBT is always yours. So you just, I've got Thanks some blankets so. for you. You can sit Stay down in. there. Thanks Don't so you much. worry. That's my sofa, by the way, in case that wasn't clear. Um, <laughs> it has a name. Yeah. And it's kind of, it's teal. Anyway, um, <laughs> just to fully explain the joke. Um <laughs> All right, so now we've all gone through our collective trauma of things that we don't agree with. Let's um, bring it back. This podcast is called Queer Longing. We want to talk about queerness um, and how that is explored within the book. And we see the book explore themes of self-invention, insecurity, coming of age. And it's depicted in this very sort of like visceral, heady, sensorial way. And an essential part of this is Zoe learning about and exploring her queerness. And you get, you get this sense that as, as Zoe and Haley's paths diverge, like wh- when it comes to sexuality, there's a tension there. Cause it's kind of like a level of intimacy that can no longer be shared. And Haley can't sort of like mine these experiences from Zoe in the same way that she was maybe leeching off her and their friendship was sort of feeding off each other in this quite toxic way. Um, that was my reading of it anyway, but I wondered if you could speak more about how Zoe's relationship to her queerness informs the book and, and their relationship. Yeah, I think that's actually totally nails the sort of thing that she had where I think like she was looking for these solutions where the reality is she wasn't actually listening to herself. And the second she kind of starts listening to herself, Haley's like super jealous and kind of like that's when things really incinerate is when she's like, realizes she can't be the most important like female in her life. And Zoe also realizes that like, yeah, there's this thing that she's sort of been denying herself. And so when she starts, it allows her to sort of see herself, I think in ways that are much more honest. And I think Haley can't deal with that because she also likes the kind of performance of self rather than kind of the actualization of it. So I think that's absolutely where their paths diverge kind of in the most real way but I think they also like love each other in this like kind of funny way that like gets split when that love isn't you know that type of love so yeah I think Zoe's in a way it's like a very fucked up coming out story because like I also like you know it's like I think like you do have these obsessions with your female friends because you have these feelings and you're like wait what is this and like where kind of like unpacking what all of that is. And I think so much of that is what brought Zoe to Berlin, this sort of not being able to face kind of maybe that she was in love with Ivy or maybe she had like kind of latched onto her in this way that she never able to like fully process. So yeah. Yeah, no. Clear longing up in there for sure, yeah. Definitely, massively, yeah. It's a is a very very apt book for for this pod. So perfect to have you on. Um, and we spoke about 
Ivy there. The sort of the the novel is sort of bookended by murder, some might say. Um, and so we wanted to ask you, what like do you want the readers to sort of experience or understand and question about the sort of idea of like dead, dead girl news narratives um, and like society's appetite for them because there definitely is one. Um, yeah, and I think yeah. definitely during that period they were way more gruesome than, I mean, they're still terrible, but like, I think there was this relationship to like, I think that like the celebrities of that time period were very much hunted and like people wanted them to die. Like this, like Britney Spears, like kind of losing her mind in the mm. street. Like, I mean, it's just, that was like absolutely a type of militant hunting on the behalf of like tabloid culture. And like that kind of also with like law and order and this sort of relationship to all of these women who kind of get washed up to shore or show up in a dumpster or like in Central Park. And I think also Haley is sort of obsessed with how Amanda Knox also and like these kind of like units of measurement of fame which rely on dead females and so like the book itself is about dead females so like it is part of the problem but I think like it's like sort of in my mind the sort of meat grinder of the problem that's like kind of self-aware and in the end like Haley does harness that media carnivorous thing to become what she wants to be within that prism but like I don't know, I think it's such a violent, I don't think we're out of it, but I do think like that time period was much worse. And so like, to me, this book kind of, I want it to like kind of have all of that in it or I wanted it all to be in there. Um, I don't know, it's just, it's not better now. I told myself at one point, I was like, it's not like that still, but then I was like, no, it's still like. It is, and I think, I think that that, it's kind of like changed in a sense or like and that probably has a lot to do with like social media and things like that and like the 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 uh the like the approach we have to or even the the amount of information we get about cases and about things like that is very yeah. different and stuff like that obviously and that does change in the the it's scope very true crimey now and the next book I'm working on it's like the girl is obsessed with true crime podcasts and so I think that's also why I'm like I now see kind of where, how it's, and it is, it's funny. It's like, now we're all detectives. It's like yeah. way more perverse and we're like way more into detail. And like, rather than it being kind of like tabloidy, it's like you like put in 12 episodes worth of time listening to about like fibers and like cell phone towers pinging. It's like, yeah. there's a very weird relationship to kind of like unpacking murder that like, I'm now thinking about but I think this really has to do with kind of the image of it and like the image that sells kind of like news in a way and yeah. really plugs into like Amanda Knox and kind of what she was as a unit of like American news like shooting out into the planet from that time. Definitely. Um, and it, yeah, it's a, it's a fascinating portrayal of that time for sure. Um, and you have just touched on it there, but we did want to ask you next, uh, what, what are you working on next? And like, what else can we expect from you in the future? I'm so excited because I just finished it and like, but it's this thing. It's like, I sent it to my agent to read and I was like, you, it's like with art, you can like send the photograph you take and they're like, but oh, that looks great. You're done, but it's like, it takes time. Um, but it's a book set in, um, it follows a girl whose name is Esther, who is in the art world and she drops out, something bad happens. You don't know what it is. And she decides she's going to start making craft. She's like done with the art world. And so she's like, starts binding books and she's living in North Carolina. She has a girlfriend it's another lesbian thriller and she's like 
she decides to like kind of face her past, go to New York. And um, while she's there, she goes to her friend's opening and she gets seated at a dinner next to this super wealthy woman. And this woman is like, oh, wonderful, you make books. Let me tell you about this thing I've been doing. And our character is like so overworking for rich people and kind of like out of the art world. And she's just like stuck there. And this woman explains that her husband is an extreme minimalist and they're very, very wealthy. And he doesn't know this, but she's been storing like everything from their child's life, like all of the papers and like clippings and photos. And she, he thinks there's only one box, but there's 250 boxes and she keeps them in a storage unit. And like, he doesn't know about it, but it's his 60th birthday. And she's like, will you please work on the scrapbook project? And she's like, absolutely fucking not. She flies back to North Carolina, gets home, finds out her girlfriend has dumped her in a note in the fruit bowl. So she has to like call our girl up and she's like, I'll take that job. I have to pay off my mortgage now. And all these like boxes arrive filled with like material and she's going through it. And she very quickly realizes that it's not just family stuff. It's also a lot of weird financial documents. And she's just like putting them in. And then like the woman who hired her ends up dead. And so she's like, and the whole time she's listening to murder podcasts. So you can't really tell if she's going to solve this murder or if that's just how she sees the world. But I have, because of this, listened to like 600 murder podcasts and I'm officially crazy. <laughs> I can't listen. I'm like so glad I've done because I can't listen to her anymore. <laughs> but that's the next book. And I'm very excited about her. I love her a lot. And she's very demented. So, but she that sounds, so that sounds amazing. I, I feel like I've had a weird like relationship with true crime. Like I definitely got to a point where I oversaturated myself. Yeah, like, it makes you insane. Yeah, I actually think it makes you and it makes you see everyone and everything in the worst way possible. Yes. Like, so on edge, so like yeah. nervous. Like, and then yeah, I got to a point a couple of years ago where I was like, I can't do this anymore. I'm not, I, no, stop it. <laughs> so yeah. I stopped. Yeah. No. It's really interesting to me that that's like the most popular like form of news for like women in America. It's just like so direct. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is. And now it's like the the whole sort of genre of true crime and true crime podcast is sort of going to that next level where we get series like Only Murders in the Building, which is like about listening to podcasts, but it's a fiction of people who love listening to real true crime, crime podcasts ah! doing a true crime it's so investigation meta. in the fiction. <laughs> meta beyond meta. Yeah, yeah it's absolutely. a lot. It is a lot. And um, so when will that book come out? Do you, do you know yet? I have yet, no or? idea. I literally just finished it like three days ago. Wow, fresh. Yeah, who knows? Maybe it's terrible. I have no idea. It's like, that's how fresh it is. Where like every day I wake up and I'm like, wait, like what happened? Like it's a dream. Well, Um, we're invested. We're invested already. So um, I'm sure it will be great. But um, where can people um, find you? If you um, let people know um, where they can follow you, if there's info about your bar or any events that you're involved in, what you're up to. I am on Instagram as... um, Callahan, named after the eponymous um, toilets in New York. And um, my bar is TV, which is TV Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And we do everything on Instagram. It's like where all of our information is. And yeah, I'm around. And if you're ever in Berlin, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, I am usually here on the early side because I'm old. Well, we're, co- we're coming for our, it won't really be a bimbo holiday, but we can. Yes, you know. come for the bimbo holiday. Yeah. yeah, we can bimbo it up. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Bimbo Berlin. Yeah. <laughs> 
in my Berlin. I'll be, um, yeah, coming in my, I'm, I'm going to buy myself a Tiffany necklace, obviously. For the obviously. Yeah, yeah, totally. obviously. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just buy it for yourself. You don't need anyone else to buy that for you, Olivia. Oh, yeah, exactly. That's also how I felt. I was like, this is for me. Yeah, yeah exactly. For me, buy me. Like <laughs> when, um, when Samantha buys herself that big engagement ring on it's Sex exactly and the City. exactly how I felt. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And that's yeah. the way we always want to feel. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's well, thank you so much, um, Kala, for joining us. Um, Keller's book Other People's Clothes is out now go and buy it read it and absolutely absorb yourself in the mystery and thriller of um, 2009 Berlin and you know unlock your Flickr account um, get back onto your Facebook and just really just really just steep yourself in in that culture and um, time of life it was an absolute joy to read so thank you very very much thank you guys so much for having me this was a delight and your fabulous questions thank you See you in Berlin on your bimbo weekend. (laughs) (laughs) So all that's left to be said is a massive thank you to Kala again for joining us here on Queer Longing. We are really, really enjoying our author specials and being able to talk to all of these incredibly interesting people about their great books. So please get reading. And we will be loving you, leaving you, and longing for you until next time. Bye. Bye!